So since you guys aren't covering neural, um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Parkinson's disease and what Parkinson's disease is. Uh, it's a degenerative disorder of the um, uh, central nervous system. So the main, the main things you guys need to know about Parkinson's disease in order to be able to uh, understand the pharmacology is what area of the brain is being affected. Does anybody know? The what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where is, I mean, ultimately the motor cortex is involved because um, you have a deficiency in what? In dopamine. Um, specifically, because dopamine is secreted in a lot of different places, but specifically, yeah, in the basal ganglia, specifically in the substantia nigra of the basal ganglia. Yeah. Nigra. All right. So in the substantia nigra, there's a decrease in the production of dopamine. Um, the reason there's a decrease in the production of dopamine is because there's demyelination of the neurons, um, and there's also development. Just like we said, we had amyloid precursors in Alzheimer's and the tau proteins. Um, there's a similar process that happens, but uh, due to other different proteins um, that are referred to as Lewy bodies. Okay. So because of this, there's a decrease in production in dopamine, and dopamine is supposed to inhibit uh, production of GABA within the midbrain. And GABA has a direct effect on the thalamus to stimulate the thalamus for muscular, um, in the spinothalamic tract, to produce voluntary skeletal muscle movements. So if you don't have dopamine and it doesn't inhibit GABA, and then GABA cannot stimulate uh, processing through the uh, spinal thalamic tract, you're going to have decreased stimulation at the thalamus, and you're going to have slow movement, you're going to have tremors, um, and you're going to have rigidity. Okay? And the reason for this is, one, because there's no processing, and two, because it's affecting the production also of acetylcholine. Okay? So it's really a balance of dopamine and acetylcholine. Um, and then, so that's one thing you have to understand. The other thing you have to understand is what enzymes break down dopamine. And there's two main ones that are targets for treatment. Um, monoamine antioxidases and COMT, which we'll talk about later. COMT. Alright, so these enzymes help degrade dopamine. So if you inhibit the enzymes, then you are allowing more dopamine to be present. Another thing about dopamine that's important to understand is that it doesn't cross the brain. The blood-brain barrier. The blood-brain barrier, right? It does not cross the blood-brain barrier. So because of this, if you gave somebody dopamine, it would stay within their peripheral system and in circulation. It wouldn't go to the brain, which is where we need it. Um, so a lot of the medications that are being used are either to stop, uh, there's medications that are added to help stop the breakdown of, um, of dopamine, or, sorry, of levodopa, so that it can then go to the brain. Levodopa is a product that can cross the brain barrier, and when it gets into the brain, it can then be converted to dopamine in the brain. So instead of giving dopamine directly, we're giving levodopa. But even levodopa gets uh, in, in the system, it gets broken down by COMT, 
into dopamine, and then it can't cross. So we need to stop the medication as it's absorbed from being converted to dopamine. Um, and we will talk about which medications we use for that and how they work, um, so that way it's not extremely confusing. All right. So the signs and symptoms of Parkinson's disease um, include some of the things we already talked about. So there's going to be uh, motor issues in terms of gait. Uh, there's going to be tremors. Um, and everything the patient does is going to be slow. They're going to speak slow. They're going to move slow. Um, they're going to have kind of like a, um, a flat affect. It looks like they have like a mask on. They don't really have uh, very good facial expressions. Um, the patients are going to have rigidity. Uh, there's two different types. There's lead pipe, which is just completely stiff muscles that um, you can't passively extend because they're rigid. And then there's cogwheel rigidity, which is rigid, and they also have a tremor associated with it as you're trying to move um, as you're trying to move the muscle through the range of motion. A lot of this stuff is uh, patho and medicine stuff, but I just wanted to put it here since. Um, we haven't necessarily covered it, and you wouldn't have covered it by the time we do our exam. Parkinson's disease is really a, a clinical diagnosis. Uh, it's, it's diagnosed by having a constellation of different symptoms, and it's also one of the conditions that uh, you diagnose by its improvement with treatment for Parkinson's. So if you give them the medications to treat Parkinson's and they get better, that's supporting evidence that the patient has Parkinson's. Typically, when they start manifesting symptoms of Parkinson's, it's um, very late into the disease once they've already had substantial degradation of the neurons in the substantia nigra. Um, so it usually takes a, a while to, for that to happen. Um, so like a lot of these other conditions, there's not really a cure. The medications that you're giving are being used to reduce uh, the signs and symptoms of the condition and also to prolong functioning in these patients as long as humanly possible, um, but there's not going to be any reversal, and over time, they're just going to get worse. Uh, there's several drug classes that we're going to be talking about, anticholinergic medications, which we've talked about on multiple different occasions, so we know a lot of those side effects associated with those already, and we know what they're going to help with as well. Uh, carbidopa, levodopa, so uh, levodopa is a product that in the brain is broken down into dopamine. So it can cross the blood-brain barrier, and because of that, that's why we use levodopa instead of dopamine specifically. But levodopa is converted to dopamine as it's absorbed in the GI tract. So in order to have enough levels of it to get to the brain and not be broken down by these enzymes, you have to give a lot of the medication, and thus the patients develop a lot of side effects because dopamine has effects in the GI tract and in the peripheral system as well. It's not just in the brain. So you won't be getting as much to the brain, but you'll be getting a bunch in peripheral circulation causing a lot of side effects. Uh, because of that reason, they give the medication together with carbidopa, which carbidopa stops the enzyme that breaks down levodopa into dopamine in the GI tract and as it's being absorbed in the GI tract. Does that make sense? A dopamine agonist uh, is exactly what the name implies. It works in the brain at the synaptic cleft to stimulate the neurons to start secreting dopamine. Um, so instead of focusing on the actual absorption and natural production, it's 
focusing on stimulating the actual neurons in the brain to secrete dopamine exactly where we need it. COMT inhibitors and MAOB inhibitors are inhibiting enzymes that either uh, break, that break down dopamine. Okay, so by preventing the breakdown, you're going to have um, either one, you're gonna have more levels of your endogenous dopamine, and two, if you're using them in combination with other dopamine medications, you're gonna stop that, you're gonna help that medication be absorbed better um, without being broken down. And then the last medication is amantadine, um, which is not very well understood, um, but we'll talk about that one later. Yeah, so as, as levodopa is being absorbed, it's, uh, there's an enzyme called dopa decarboxylase, which breaks down the levodopa into dopamine. And then at that point, it's no longer able to cross the blood-brain barrier. So carbidopa helps attach to that enzyme, but the enzyme doesn't break down the levodopa as it's being absorbed in the GI tract. And the cool thing is that carbidopa doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, because that would be terrible, because then it would stop the conversion in the, in the brain also, and it wouldn't do anything. So it, it all works out. So the first medications we're going to talk about are anticholinergics. Uh, the three medications in this class that we're going to talk about is uh, vestropine, which is the most commonly used one, trihexylphenidyl, and diphenhydramine. The medications work. Um, by correcting the imbalance of acetylcholine, and it, it helps a lot with, um, uh, with smooth muscle relaxation. Um, and really, it's, it's used mainly for symptomatic therapy, but uh, as you know, and especially in elderly patients, the side effects of these medications are very undesirable. Um, so a lot of times for older patients, the medications are, not, um, are really not preferred. Um, and they also don't do a whole lot to help with the symptoms of rigidity, um, associated with Parkinson's disease, but they do help with the cholinergic symptoms, um, specifically the tremors. If patients uh, develop extrapyramidal symptoms, anticholinergic medications can help uh, reduce those effects as well. But their use is limited, like we said, due to adverse reactions, especially in elderly patients. So anticholinergic toxicity, we talked about the signs and symptoms already, which are what? Urinary retention, uh, blurry vision, urinary um, retention, right? So all these different symptoms. Uh, we already know that it causes the, uh, dilation of the pupils, contraindicated in patients with glaucoma, right? So these are all the same big things that we've already talked about in the past. Um, and because we've covered this medication so much, it's not gonna be highly emphasized on my exam, uh, but you will have questions on, on it specific to how it's used for Parkinson's disease. Um, but a lot of the things that you already know, I'm not gonna test you on, because I know you already know them. So dopamine agonists, we talked about these, how do they work? They actually um, work on the neurons in the brain and they stimulate them to secrete more dopamine. What are some other indications that we've talked about for these kind of medications? Prolactinoma is a big one, right? It helps inhibit prolactin secretion in patients who have uh, symptoms of prolactinoma. 
um, and either can't have surgery or are awaiting surgery, right? Right. Yes. <clears throat> Does that have to do with the trisecting and the presence that reduce the visceral sensitivity or no? Uh, not that I'm aware of. So the medications in this class are bromocryptine, ropinirole, pramipexil, um, and apomorphine. Apomorphine is not uh, not commonly tested, and I'm not going to be testing you guys on it, but you're going to get a lot of questions specifically on bromocryptine, ropinirole, and primipexil. Uh, they have some differences within the classes, um, and some of them are used for different indications, which we'll talk about now, and you're definitely going to be tested on that. So uh, one thing we didn't talk about is off and on periods when treating patients with Parkinson's disease. Uh, so an off period, these medications, a lot of times, their effectivity alternates. So sometimes a patient can be taking one of these medications for a long time, and it's working great, and then it stops working, and then it'll start working again. Um, and when it's not working, these are referred to as off periods, where the medication's off, it's not doing its job. Um, and when it's working, these are referred to as on periods. And obviously, as part of the goals of treatment, you want to reduce the amount of off periods and extend the amount of on periods, right? So dopamine agonists help decrease the frequency of off periods. Um, so typically it's not necessarily a medication. While it can be used in monotherapy, a lot of times it's not. Um, so one of the big indications for it is used with carbidopa levodopa to help reduce um, the off periods in patients that are kind of losing the effect of, uh, of carbidopa levodopa. So can it be used in monotherapy? Yes. Is it often used in monotherapy? No, not specifically for um, um, for Parkinson's disease. It's important to distinguish that ropinirole and primipexil are used in restless leg syndrome. Um, even though we're not talking about restless leg syndrome, we are talking about the meds, and we may not get a chance to talk about that in any other module. So that uh, can and will be a test question on my exam, um, and it definitely will be a question on your pants and or endorotation exams and a lot of other things that you do. So definitely ingrain that into your memory. Uh, the medications are typically used in, it says middle-aged patients, but it's important to remember that, that like young patients with Parkinson's are typically in their late 40s, early 50s. That's considered like early in, in the course of the disease. So that's young and middle-aged for Parkinson's disease. Um, and that's mainly when this medication is used. Important adverse effects to, uh, that I wanted to highlight are uh, hypotension, um, which is why in older patients, it's especially if you're using it with other medications that can do the same thing, which there's many of them, um, it's a very concerning side effect as elderly patients are more prone um, to develop these. Uh, leg cramps and hallucinations which again, the incidence of this is increased in elderly populations, which is why it's not preferred in elderly patients. Uh, tardive dyskinesia, any medication that can cause tardive dyskinesia, you need to know it. Although this isn't commonly tested for tardive dyskinesia, it's very important to know, and you may get it on my exam also. Um, and if there's multiple medications that can cause tardive dyskinesia, uh, you better know that too and not give them at the same time. Disulfiram-like reactions if consumed with alcohol. What other medications we learn about with that? Or actually, we didn't learn about it yet, but actually we no, did. We, we did talk about it. He talked about it slightly. 
see the person? Is it an antibiotic that does it? Metronidazole. Yeah. I didn't hear you, I'm sorry. Apparently Priscilla knew that, guys. Yes. Um, so that's important. Uh, the interaction with cimetidine, not that it's not important, but cimetidine interacts with everything. Uh, and that that specific fact is not commonly tested. And cimetidine, for that reason, is just people just kind of avoid prescribing it as much as possible, um, especially when you have better options within the same drug class. So I will not be testing you on that. Um, what else? Uh, so intraclass variants, so I included this on here um, to help you guys remember certain things about the class. Uh, in here should also be that ropinirol and pamipexor are used for restless syndrome. That's another thing, intraclass, that's important to note. But another thing is that bromocryptine has some pretty significant side effects, specifically pulmonary fibrosis. Um, and it's not as effective as some of the other medications in the class also. So that's important to note. I'm not going to test you guys on apomorphine, and I don't think the pants will either. It's very important to pay attention to this drug class because it's one of the ones where the medications in it don't sound the same. Um, so you kind of have to learn three different medications for one drug class, and those are kind of annoying. Um, so make sure you pay attention to that and don't mess that up. Because you can get either one of them, and if you forget which one's a dopamine agonist, you can get the question wrong, even though you know it. You guys have any questions so far? So one of the main medications that you guys are going to be tested on and that you need to know very well um, is carbidopa levodopa. Um, and this medication, although the medications can be given individually, they're given together because... Uh, like we said, the amount of dose of levodopa that you need to give in order for it to get to the brain and exert its effects if you give it by itself is really high. And because of that, you have a lot of side effects. So given with carbidopa, it reduces the amount of dosing necessary to achieve the desired effect, and thereby it decreases the amount of side effects that you'll have from the medication. Essentially, what the medication is, is a um, product that will be absorbed into the circulation in the brain and then will be converted in the brain to dopamine. Some of the biggest side effects are um, hypotension. Uh, a really, really, really important one um, is the activation, it can activate patients who have a history or don't know but have melanoma. It can potentiate and exacerbate the, um, the development of malignant melanoma. So if patients have any kind of concerning skin lesions, anything that may be a melanoma or have a known melanoma, it's contraindicated to give the medication. I've never been tested on that before. Uh, but you guys will most definitely be tested on that. It can produce some anticholinergic type symptoms, like difficult, like urinary retention, um, dry mouth, things like that. 
So you do need to know those. Um, hallucinations, involuntary muscle movements, and spasms. It also will cause dilation of pupils, um, contraindicated also in narrow angle glaucoma. So know those contraindications really well, both of those. As far as interactions go, um, the main ones that I want you guys to be aware of, uh, kava is not a particularly common, commonly ingested item, um, so I don't think you're going to get it on your pants. Kava, I think it's like a plant, I don't know, I think it's like a root or something, and people take it for, like they put it in teas, and it's supposed to have like relaxing properties. Um, it's not extremely common. Should you know it from my exam? Maybe. Uh, but much more important is pyridoxine and vitamin B6. Co-administration or foods or dietary uh, uh, regimens that contain this will reverse the effects and reduce the effectiveness of the medication as they take it. So it's very important, especially because pyridoxine is pretty commonly um, used or can be commonly used. You should definitely know that uh, it's going to interact with cocaine and monoamine antioxidant inhibitors. Uh, one, because people do cocaine, and two, because MAOIs are in the same class, uh, or in this group of class of medications that are used to treat uh, Parkinson's disease, so it's possible for it to be given together. The administration of carbidopa with levodopa is going to reduce the likelihood of patients developing these, the hypertensive crisis that can ensue from this. It doesn't completely eliminate it, um, but it significantly reduces the risk. COMT inhibitors, um, we talked a little bit about them already. COMT is one of the enzymes that can break down uh, or can peripherally convert uh, and, and break down uh, dopamine. So by inhibiting it, you will then allow more uh, dopamine to be present that can then go to the brain and exert its effects. So it works similar to um, the idea of uh, DPP-4s that we talked about, they stop the breakdown of GOP and let your body use its endogenous GOP. Similar idea, but it doesn't have to be endogenous. It can be used, or it should be used only, in addition to other treatments. Professor? Yeah. Does this dopamine have anything to do with pleasure? Does dopamine have anything to do with pleasure? No, this dopamine. What do you mean this dopamine? I mean, yeah, it, it's going to, at the end of the day, this is all going to the brain. But the, the thing is that mainly, I mean, it's going to exert its effects in the brain when it gets there, once it's converted. Um, so can it? Yes. But it's mainly being targeted for patients who are having deficiencies specifically in the substantia nigra. But at the end of the day, it doesn't delineate where the dopamine is going. Once it goes into the brain, it's going to exert its effects on all of the brain tissues that are either um, antagonized or uh, stimulated by the pain. Which are side effects? Huh? Which are the side effects, I mean, yeah. I guess you can consider the side effects. Um, so
So, sorry, what were we, we were saying? So it works by preventing the conversion of levodopa in the body to dopamine. And obviously we want to prevent that because what? Because it won't cross the blood-brain barrier. That's the main one. And yeah, side effects also. But yeah, it won't cross the blood-brain barrier. So it's a medication that can help um, increase the amount of levodopa that's making it through the blood-brain barrier and exerting its effects. And it works peripherally. Monoamine antioxidase inhibitors, which we're going to learn about later, work in the uh, in the nerve in the central nervous system. So they work at the level of the brain, uh, where at the actual site of the uh, synapses, they stop dopamine from being reuptaked and broken down in the synapse. Whereas um, COMT is working more peripherally before it even gets to the brain. All right, if that makes sense. So some very important uh, adverse reactions that I need you guys to know um, is rhabdomyolysis and muscle cramps. What medication uh, that's taken for hyperlipidemia can produce similar statins? Right, so always keep in mind medications that have similar side effects because taking them together and there's a lot of patients on statins, um, so mm -hmm. you can potentiate um, episodes of rhabdomyolysis. Also development of neuroleptic malignant syndrome, um, which is a syndrome that presents with symptoms uh, such as severe muscle rigidity, um, fever, uh, altered mental status, and a lot of these other type of symptoms. So within this drug class, entacopone and tocopone, um, these medications, specifically tocopone, has a black box warning um, related to fatal liver toxicity. So the medication works, uh, it's a little bit more efficacious than some of the other medications in the class, um, but it's the last one that you would ever use because of the high risk of liver toxicity. So although it's more effective, it has more significant side effects and it's reserved for use um, in pretty much patients who have exhausted other options. So you should not use this medication with monoamine antioxidase inhibitors, mainly because um, they work through similar means, right? So if you have a medication, if you're peripherally preventing levodopa from being broken down, so you're getting more levodopa in the central nervous system, right? Because now it's able to cross through the blood-brain barrier. And now it's able to be converted to dopamine. And then you also prevent, at the level of the synapse, dopamine from being broken down. You're essentially going to have an excess amount of dopamine and then not break down that dopamine um, and it can cause overstimulation, right? So it shouldn't be used together because they, um, um, they can essentially potentiate production of uh, catecholamines, uh, lead to hypertensive crisis, uh, and there's going to be a lot of medications that interact with monoamine antioxidase inhibitors, which kind of limit its use, and we'll talk about that when we get to the next. It's very important because, uh, so tocopone is more um, 
uh, known for causing liver toxicity, so it's really important to monitor closely for LFTs. Um, but entacopone is doesn't really have any major side effects with the liver. So you don't necessarily need to monitor LFTs um, while they're on the medication. <coughs> two questions. So the entacopone, I've seen it twice with two different drug names. Is that with Comten and Stilvo? That's interesting. I'm not sure why. Uh, it could, I'm not sure if it's the same or if they, sometimes they have different, um, like, uh, different durations and things like that, and they make small changes to the medication and brand them differently. Um, but I'll double check on it for you. I'll see what, if there's any, um, there's not any major difference that was in the text for me to include, but I'll, I'll double check for you. So uh, this is one medication that can cause changes in urine. Um, we talked about other medications in the past that do that. What medications did we cover that did that? Are you talking about Which one? It's a cough medication. Yes. And now I can't remember. It's Prochlor. It's not Prom. I don't think it's Prom. It's just Prochlor. Can somebody check? Can somebody check and check? Also, phenazopyridine can do it. Used for UTIs. So any medication that can change your color, know about it. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so monoamine antioxidant inhibitors, um, these medications you need to know because they have very serious side effects. They interact with literally every medication that you can think of. Um, and as such, they like to ask questions about the side effects, what medications you can't give it with, what foods you can't give it with. Um, so very, very important. We already talked about the mechanism of action, so it works um, in the central nervous system at the level of the synapse, and it stops dopamine from being uh, broken down and transferred back into the vesicles at the synaptic cleft, and thereby giving you more dopamine where you need it. For younger patients, um, it's the initial therapy, as long as there's no contraindications. And it can also be used in conjunction with um, levodopa. So some of the big uh, interactions that you guys need to know is tricyclic antidepressants, SSRIs, um, and that's because there's a risk of developing serotonin syndrome. And then the other thing that you will be tested on um, is the avoidance of taking the medication with foods that contain tyramine. Like cheeses? Cheese, red wine. Wow. <laughs> Tap beer. That's terrible. Okay, have Tap beer. So essentially, they can not drink alcohol. 
Yeah. No German food. No Italian. Sauerkraut. <laughs> no. 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 Soy. Soy. I mean, guys, if you can't have cheese and red wine and beer, I mean, you can see how compliance with these medications, and it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, like you're going to have, like, you do it and you die. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, I mean, you can see why the medication is not well tolerated um, and a lot of times not often used. And typically when they test you on it, they're going to test you on um, co-administration with TCAs, SSRIs, or they're going to give you a vignette of, and they're going to ask you what foods they have to avoid or what's important counseling, or they'll describe to you the patient um, developing a hypertensive crisis, and they'll ask you what the likely cause could be. So think about the various ways that that could be tested, because there's quite a few. Uh, and the last medication that we're going to be talking about is amantadine. Um, amantadine helps enhance the release of dopamine um, and prevent reuptake of it to allow there to be more levels of it in the central nervous system. Uh, the way that happens isn't really well understood, but it works, and a lot of patients are on amantadine. A lot of times the medication is given with carbidopa, levodopa, um, because as you increase the dose, uh, the patients can um, develop a lot of dyskinesias and movement-related issues, um, and it will help with that as well as tremors, um, the slow movement associated with uh, Parkinson's disease. It's usually not used as monotherapy, although it can be. Um, it's usually used as add-on therapy, and the duration of effectiveness for it is very short. Um, it's about six months. It's very similar to memantine, um, but memantine, huh? Just like memantine. Yeah. Memantine, we used it for Alzheimer's, um, and we said the duration was also pretty short, it was about a year for its effectiveness. And again, although they can be used in monotherapy, they're usually not, they're usually used in combination. And that is it. Thank you. Thank you. Oh.